you for the gift of this morning that we could come and, and worship you again. You are the one who invites us uh, this morning, and so thank you. And we pray now that you would teach us as we open your word. Would you guide us by the power of your spirit to understand what we read? Would you open our eyes to see and apply these truths to our lives? We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bring, bring freedom in this place. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome again to FBC. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here and just so glad that you're with us. And if you're joining us online, shout out to the online crew. We see you. We're grateful for you. And uh, yeah, I just want to invite you now, everybody, whether you're here online, join us in John chapter 8, verse 31 is where we're going to be this morning, continuing our sermon series called Come and See, looking at the gospel of John little by little. And hey, just a reminder, uh, we're still in this church-wide emphasis called the third quarter, where all fall we want to encourage you towards a few different things. And one of those that I want to highlight this morning, we talked about a few weeks ago, is our, our monthly challenge. Remember we talked about how each month we're going to have a challenge, and that challenge is to engage in some selected resources. So whether you, again, are at home or in your car or late at night, whenever you have time early in the morning, we want to invite you to join in and engage with some of these resources. On this magnet, there's a little QR code that can take you to the website, or if you just want to go to the website, you can find the monthly resources there. We picked out some uh, articles and podcasts and a book of the month that is all pointed around the topic of worship. How do we grow in this area? So I just want to invite you, if you haven't already, to join in, right? We're not quite at the end of September. There's still time. If you didn't get a copy of the book of the month, there's a free one waiting for you on the black table out in the lobby. And I also want to invite you, you're going to hear more about this in the announcement time at the end, but this Wednesday night, we're having a growth workshop here at the church from 6 to 7.30. So we're inviting everybody. Uh, we're asking small groups to kind of take a break this week or just, you know, do something fun if you still want to get together so that we can all prioritize being here Wednesday night, 6 to 7.30. Um, I've heard Pastor Lee's going to do an interpretive dance. It's, it, it's going to be wild, so you don't want to miss it, okay? Uh, but really, we would love to have you here as we just engage uh, and think about that topic of worship. We're going to talk about the resources a little bit. There's going to be a time of sharing. Even if you haven't read the book or engaged, still come on out Wednesday night. We'd love to see you here. Sound good? All right, okay. Uh, back in college, Amber and I were a part of this campus ministry called in we, varsity, we had kind of outreaches and worship service on campus. And one semester, we did this kind of hard questions series where we had different speakers share about difficult topics and objections to Christianity. Things like, can you really believe the Bible? Uh, questions about, hey, did miracles, you know, really happen? Can we believe in the resurrection? Things like that. I remember one particular talk was given, and the question that was being addressed was, uh, is Christianity just a straight jacket? Okay, and an InterVarsity staff member named Ryan White, shout out Ryan if you're listening, he did this great talk on that question, is Christianity a straight jacket, right? Is, is following Jesus just about, you know, keeping the rules and it's meant to kind of hinder your joy and limit your options and cramp your style? Maybe that's, maybe you're here this morning, and that's kind of your opinion of, you know, church and Jesus, like looking in from the outside, you're like, yeah, that's kind of what it feels like. Or maybe you've been in, you know, church or religious environments where it very much felt that way. 
just a straitjacket meant to kind of, you know, stay in line. Or maybe you know someone who's left the faith because of that. Or maybe you've kind of wandered away at parts of your life because of that feel. It's a really important question. Is Christianity just a straitjacket? Question. And I remember as Ryan White went up to answer this question, he did it so well. He reframed the question for us. And he said, okay, is Christianity a straitjacket? And he said, what if the premise of that question is wrong? What if the premise of the whole question is wrong? Because he said, basically, the question assumes that we are free. We're free already. And so Jesus or religion is just some unnatural restraint that we put on ourselves. But he said, what if we're not free to begin with? And we all were like, whoa, that's a, that's a, that's a good point, Ryan. He, he Jesus juked us. You know, he's like, you thought I was going here? Bam, I'm going here. We've got to rethink this. And, and that's really, as you've seen, what the text is about this morning, right? It's about freedom versus slavery. It's about lies versus the truth. And so we're going to look at that question. Is Christianity just a straitjacket? Look again at verse 31. Pastor Ian read it for us. But Jesus says to this crowd, Uh, who's there with him. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? So the, the natural question coming up out of the passage, the first foundational question is what? Do we need to be set free? Right? Jesus makes this claim in verse 31 30, and 32. I can set you free. Following me, you'll be set free. If you hold to my teaching, my word, you'll be my disciples. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. But the crowd responds in verse 33. You notice they say what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. wait a second, Jesus. I mean, we are Abraham's descendants. We are sons of Abraham. We are true Jews. And Jesus, you're implying here that we're in bondage. We're not slaves. What do you mean we need to be set free? I mean, sure, in our past there's been political you know, slavery in Egypt and in Babylon, and, and Rome is in power now. But, but, I mean, spiritually speaking, by birth as Jews, we're sons of Abraham. We're the chosen people of God. We serve the one true God. We've never been taken captive to lies, false gods, idolatry, and so on. We don't need you to set us free because, Jesus, we are already free. That's what they're saying in verse 33. And that sounds very much like what we say today, doesn't it? Many of us today would say, Jesus, I don't, we don't need you to set us free because I'm already free. Not because I'm you know, Jewish or a son of Abraham or anything like that, but because we're, we're modern and people. We are free to you know, chart our course and determine our destiny and choose the way that we are to go. I mean, this is America, right? We are land of the free. So freedom is a super high value for us today. And so we just see Jesus or religion or tradition as something that's just going to limit our freedom. Or worse, someone say it's, it's a tool used you know, by those in power to oppress people and stay in power. And so we're already free if you would just kind of stay out of our way. Thank you very much. We'd just like to remain free. Pastor John Mark Comer gave this great 
talk on, on John chapter 8 and freedom and a lot of insights here. A lot of insights from this morning came from some of the things that he said. It was so helpful. But one of the things he did is he looked at culture. He pointed at our culture and said, we are obsessed with freedom. Whether you're on the political right or on the political left, with, with all the differences that are there, he says, we all share this value of freedom. And he pointed out that it's going to look a little different. Like on, on the right, often you'll hear talk about freedom in terms of uh, the economy, right, or lower taxes or guns or freedom to not wear masks or shouldn't have to be coerced and that sort of thing or freedom, the environment, you know, government, just get out of our way and let us do, we want, do what we want in those categories. And Comer pointed out, you know, that's there. And then on, on the left, you'll see talk of freedom and it sounds very different. It still is freedom, but talking about things like identity and gender and sexuality and abortion and family norms, you know, free to be who we want and define who I am however I want. And so different topics, right, different categories, but still the same idea, freedom, right? Don't get in my way. I'll be free as long as you, government or neighbor or whoever else, just let me do what I want, stay out of my way. But I ask you, is it possible that we're not as free as we think? Is it possible we're not as free as we think? Because if you look at study after study today, you'll see just the sky-high rates, especially for young people, of, of anxiety and depression. What, what many have called a mental health epidemic. This was before COVID, though certainly has been accelerated by COVID. We see just addictions at staggering levels. We see compulsions at staggering levels. Uh, even if they're things that are uh, not necessarily medically diagnosed, but maybe are more socially acceptable compulsions, like people who have addiction to pornography or, or low-key alcohol dependency or people who need retail therapy, you know, go on Amazon every day, or people just, just everyday anxiety, right? I mean, just let's be honest, just the general struggle that we all just feel to, to be the people that we want to be, to try and do good in the world. We often just find ourselves still with this bent towards self, this bent towards doing damage. We, we hurt those who are closest to us. We hurt people that we love. It's almost as if, right, there's something within us preventing us from living the life that we truly want, from flourishing in the way that we feel like we should. So is it possible that we're maybe not as free as we think? So the first question, do we need to be set free? The Jews in John chapter 8 were like, no, we're sons of Abraham. People today say, no, we're modern, enlightened people. We're already free. Jesus says, yes, you do need to be set free. Now the next question, of course, comes well, okay, Jesus, if that's the case, what do we need to be set free from? What is it that's holding us captive? Verse 34, look at Jesus answer that for us. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Now, if you read on, you'll see from verse 37 to 41, the crowd keeps pushing back. And they're like, no, really, we're sons of Abraham. And Jesus is like, mm, you're not. And they're like, no, really, God is our father. And he's like, mm. you say that your actions are showing something else, right? You're trying to kill me. You're not receiving the truth and so on. Uh, but I want, I want to rewind just to verse 34 where he says, again, what do we need to be set free from? First is sin, 
Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You're captive to sin and moral failure and rebellion. And like we talked about last week, if you're with us, sin is, is more than just crossing a line and breaking a command of God in some sort of external way. It, it is that, but sin, the Bible talks about, is, is more than that. It, it speaks to a condition of the heart where we, are, are, we set ourselves up really in opposition to God. We're infected with this, this deadly power and drive towards self, away from God. And here's the deal. Sometimes we think that sin serves us, right? When you think about temptation or sin that you might uh, indulge in, we think, I'm going to get joy or life out of it. It's going to serve me when I, you know, gossip or, you know, embrace sex outside of marriage or, or lust or, or greed or hold on to my bitterness and unforgiveness or whatever. We think, I'm going to get joy out of that. It, it serves me, but Jesus flips it on us and says, it's actually not that sin is serving you, but you are serving sin. It is your master. It has this passion over you. And in, in our church tradition, this is really important we realize because we talk a lot about the penalty of sin, but not as much about the power of sin. We talk about the penalty of sin, right? Jesus paid the penalty, death on the cross, we're free then from condemnation and judgment and death and hell. Amen. That's absolutely true. But we don't always talk about how Jesus frees us from the power of sin. In a recent book, Pastor Steve Cuss pointed out that, really fascinating, he walks through the book of Romans and he points out that in the book of Romans, Paul uh, writing there, there are two forms of the word sin that he uses throughout the book. There's a noun form. And there's a verb form. And he uses the word 48 times in the book of Romans. And 46 times he uses the noun form. And only twice he uses the verb. So throughout the book of Romans, talking about sin, of the 48 times, 46, he uses a noun. Twice he uses a verb. Drawing the conclusion then that that sin, often in the New Testament, is talked about as a a thing, a condition, a, a condition you are in, not as much something you do, a power that is foreign and, and over you. It is things we do, but, but it's more than that. And sin enslaves us. It keeps us from doing the good that God wants us to do and flourishing as God wants us to flourish. So we need to be set for, free from sin, Jesus says. There's another part of this. Look at verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I've come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Okay, a lot here, but, but I want you to see throughout the text we see this question for the opponents of Jesus. Whose children are they? To whom do they belong. They're saying, we belong to Abraham, or we belong to God as our father. We walk in freedom and truth. And Jesus is saying, 
Actually, no. You have another father. Verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil. You don't belong to him. Jesus literally says you are children to his opponents. Children of the devil. They will Merry Christmas to you too, Jesus. I mean, you are children of the devil. So just side note, by the way, side note. If you're listening this morning and you think about Jesus and what comes to mind is, you know, Jesus would never confront anyone. He's just a really nice guy and Jesus wouldn't judge anybody. And Jesus is like, hey, you know, believe whatever you want, do whatever you want. doesn't matter to me. If, if that's kind of your picture of Jesus, I think we have some evidence here in verse 44 to the contrary, okay? That Jesus has some really firm words and draws some really clear lines about lies and the truth, about being uh, in the family of God and not. So we need to see that. And so notice then Jesus is saying we need to be set free, verse 34, from the power of sin. And then here we need to be set free, second, from the lies of the enemy. In the text, there's this contrast between truth and freedom and slavery and lies. And he says, hey, these lies really are the work of the devil. Now, let's talk about this for a second. When, when we mention the devil or demons, right away, um, it can be difficult. Because for some people, when they hear that, that sounds uh, crazy or superstitious. If not superstitious, you know, a little stitious. And we just... Well, we're not sure what we want to do with that, right? And granted, people have talked about the devil and the demonic and spiritual warfare in ways that are really uh, strange and go beyond the biblical text. And there's all kinds of depictions of that in culture and society and even in Christian teaching that it's hard sometimes to get past that and say, okay, what is Jesus really saying about uh, the devil, about demons? We have to identify that Scripture does talk about the reality, the existence of spiritual beings that are in opposition to God and his ways. They're in rebellion to him, and we see that the devil, or Satan, the accuser, is chief among them. Now, notice what Jesus is going to say about the devil. This is fascinating. What he does is he points back to Genesis. He says, from the beginning, he's been what? A murderer and a liar. He speaks about the enemy's role in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, deceiving Adam and Eve, leading them into death and rebellion. And here's the description that Jesus, notice how much time he spends on the fact that the devil is a liar. Okay, verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when Jesus talks about the devil, what do we hear a lot of? There's no truth in him. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language. And so when we think back to Genesis 3 and we think about the devil or the demonic, we think about evil in the world, what does the serpent do in the garden with Adam and Eve. How does he attack them? He lies to them. He deceives them, right? Dallas Willard put it this way. He said, when Satan undertook to draw Eve away from God, he did not hit her with a stick, but with an idea. Again, when Satan undertook to draw Eve away from God, he did not hit her with a stick, but with an idea. 
So the enemy didn't attack our first parents with a stick or a sword or witchcraft or Harry Potter or, you know, an army of demons or whatever, you know, nothing of that nature but an idea, a lie. God isn't trustworthy. God isn't good. God's holding out on you. Did God really say that? Or think about, again, another example of Jesus tempted in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4, I believe Luke chapter 4. Jesus is confronted by the devil there in the wilderness. And what did the devil do with Jesus? How did he attack him? Not with a stick. Not with threats of violence and storms and a legion of demons to to harm him and threaten him and his life. No, he came at him with, with lies. Deception. Hey, you're hungry. It's not a big deal. Make yourself some food. God's word would allow for this. Turn those stones into bread. Right, if you just serve me, I can give you the kingdoms of the earth. I can give you what you need. So just serve me and let's do this. And so Jesus points out, and for these two, I mean, huge moments, the garden of Genesis 3 and the temptation of Jesus, the devil is the father of lies. That's what he does. That's his strategy. And so I think you could say, you can make a good biblical case that the predominant way that the enemy is going to attack us today is not through things that look like the movie The Exorcist and not through bringing physical harm necessarily or illness or disrupting your travel plans or whatever, although there's biblical warrant to believe that the enemy does work in those ways and has and will. So I'm not saying that's, that never happens, but I, I think there's biblical warrant to believe that more often what the enemy is going to do, more than those visible manifestations, is to, to lie to you. Give you half-truths, and deceive you, and get you to believe things that sound good or maybe partially true but aren't really true. And the, the enemy's not going to lie to you in, like, random, irrelevant ways. Like, hey, Bigfoot is real. You really need to believe that, you know? Like, get away, Satan. It's, it's not going to be that sort of lie. It's going to be something that's deeply personal to you, or that's connected to something deep in your heart, it's going to lead you astray. So it'll be things like this. These will be some of the lies you'll hear. If, if God was good, why would he let that happen to you? Or if God was good, if God really loved you, that never would have happened in your life. Why did he allow that? You can't trust God. He's not good. Or things like, hey, the Bible, sure, it's a, it's a cool book. It's inspired a lot of, you know, other literature and films and, you know, some good quotes in there. But it's, you know, it's, it's kind of old. And so... Um, we've evolved as a people beyond that. It's very primitive. And so we, we, we know like how the world really works now. So we don't really need to obey or listen to the Bible and everything, you know. So just throw out the stuff that's kind of dated. Um, or things like, hey, you know, you'd be happier. Hey, you work really hard. You know, you make a lot of money. And, and the, the way to happiness is to spend that on, on yourself, right? Don't, I mean, don't worry about being Genesis sure if you want, or generous. Sure, if you want to throw some money you know, elsewhere from time to time, cool, but really you need to spend it on you and your family and go have fun and enjoy life, right? That's, that's why God has given you all of this. Or hey, you know, you're facing some marriage difficulties and you and your spouse aren't the most compatible you've discovered. And so there's no abuse here and there's, you know, no like violence or mistreatment, but really you guys would both be happier if you just moved on. You don't have to work so hard at it. Just get a divorce, move on. Pursue someone else. You'll be happier that way. Or hey, that person, I saw how they hurt you. They really hurt you. And you don't have to forgive them. 
Just hold on to that bitterness. You, you are justified in holding that against them forever. And I know the Bible says they're forgiven everything, but I mean, not in this situation, right? So just keep holding on to that. Or hey, you know what you need? In, in order to be loved, you need to succeed. Or in order to, to live a worthy life, to be seen as valuable, you gotta, you gotta work hard. You gotta get that promotion. You gotta make more money than the people around you. You gotta get some more stuff. So like work really hard. That's what's gonna make people respect you. That's what's going to bring you love. Or you know what, if you, if you don't help people out in all the ways that they ask, and you don't bend over backwards for this person in this situation, they're just going to leave you. you know, if you don't help out in all these ways and burn yourself out and get exhausted, people are going to leave you. You're going to be alone. Or hey, you know what, you'll be alone and you can fuck the boat too much, Right? No one likes someone who, you know, is bringing up Jesus or, or nagging people all the time. So, like, you can believe Jesus on your own, you know. Just, just don't bring that much into public, into the public sphere. Keep quiet about that because you want to be liked and you don't want to lose your friends. And You know what I mean? We can keep going, but see what I mean? These are some of the lies that the enemy is going to get us to believe. And they hold us captive. And they think we need things that we don't actually need. And so we work and try to perform and exhaust ourselves. And we're led all over the place by our impulses and our whims, thinking that we're going to find life out there, all while the enemy just smirks and leans back and watches us buy in. And so we need to be set free from the power of sin, and the lies of the enemy. But how? How? Verse 31. Look back. Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then verse 36. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You guys knew I was going here. You knew this is what the text was saying. Jesus, Jesus is the answer. He is the one who can set us free. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If we hold to his word and abide in him and know the truth, we will be set free. And so it's not our heritage that sets us free like the Jews thought. You know, we're physically sons of Abraham. We're not held captive. No, Jesus said you're still enslaved to sin. And it's not, uh, you know, modern self-help or, or political ideology or some sort of, you know, Eastern spirituality that you've yet to discover. Jesus says, no, if you abide in my word. The NIV says, verse 31, says, if you hold to my teaching. I think a better translation of the original is, is something like, if you abide in my word. And so he's not just saying, hey, like, you know, hold to my ideas, stick to my ideas on paper. He's saying, Abide in my word, walk with me, live in me. My way will set you free. Think with me of Romans chapter 6. It reinforces the same thing, same language. Romans 6, verses 6 through 8. Paul writing, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with anyone that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. 
And so Romans teaches that through faith, we're united to Christ, we're joined to him, and therefore we died with him. And our old self, it says what, is dead, crucified, buried with Christ. And because we died, we've then been set free from the power of sin. We're no longer slaves to sin, it says. And then Jesus raises us up to new life in him. Gives us new hearts and a new life. And in Christ then, notice, we're set free from the penalty of sin. Death, judgment, condemnation, hell. And we're set free from the power of sin. We now, in Christ, can choose to obey. Not that we always do perfectly, but now he's liberated us so that we can choose to obey. And in the power of the Spirit, follow the Lord. So in Christ, we're set free from the power of sin. And we're set free from the lies of the enemy. Right? He says, what? The truth will set you free. This whole contrast throughout the passage between truth and lies, freedom and slavery. The truth will set you free. And so Jesus reminds us, hey, you think that you need blank in order to be happy. And guess what? You don't. You think that you need blank in order to be loved. But you don't. You're already loved by God in Christ. And so you're anxious because you're believing a lie, that you have to have something or be something or achieve something in order to be loved or appear successful or have comfort or whatever. You, have. you need comfort, you need a spouse, you need success to be fulfilled. And Jesus says, actually, no, you don't need that. You can be free from it in Christ. And so it, it's a really healthy, necessary Christian practice for us to learn to identify the lies that we believe or the lies that we're kind of playing in our head. Sometimes name them, journal them, mention them to someone else, mention them out loud. Say, hey, I, I'm, I'm believing this lie. And you could, you know, fill in the blanks. I believe that I need to have blank in order to be loved, in order to be successful. And then realize the truth of the gospel that counters that lie. Is actually, no, I think I need that thing, but I really don't because of Christ. So Jesus sets us free. And now maybe you're thinking, okay, that sounds good, but still sounds kind of limiting, right? I'm, like I'm, I'm submitting myself to someone else or something else. If I follow Jesus, then I'm losing my you know, personal autonomy, my authentic self. And I would argue that really there's no way to avoid submitting yourself to someone or something. Here's what I mean. Let's say you reject Jesus and you throw off the shackles of religion and you toss the Bible to the side and you say, I'm going to go you know, live how I want to live. I'm going to deconstruct my faith and maybe I'll stay kind of spiritual. You know, I'll watch Oprah. Um, but I'm, you know, the whole religion Jesus thing, I'm, I'm tossing it. You might think, or you'd be tempted to think, that in doing that, you're taking this really, you know, step of authentic freedom. Like, I'm being my truest self. I'm not letting anything else define me or tell me who I am. I'm embracing what my heart wants to embrace. But if you do that, really what you would be doing is just embracing another life script. You'd be embracing another authority that has been given to you by someone else. 
You'd be living out a script that's been handed to you by our culture, by generations of, of philosophy or postmodern thought and secular views of the world that are going to tell you, here's who you are, and here's the way to the good life, and here's what you should believe, and here's what you should reject, and here are the heroes, and here are the villains. You'd be embracing not authentic freedom, but a new orthodoxy. But rather than your identity coming from Jesus and what he says about you, you'd simply be embracing an identity that comes from, you know, again, secular uh, theorists or social media influencers or your friends or your college professors or Disney movies or whatever it is. You know, you'd be trading identity in Jesus for another identity that's not authentically your own, but it's something you've received from others. There's no way around that. And, and so there's no escaping it. So the question is not, uh, will I embrace a vision of the good life from someone or something else? The question is, from whom will I receive my vision of the good life? Tim Keller put it this way, freedom is not the absence of limitations and constraints, but finding the right ones. Freedom is not the absence of limitations and constraints, but it's finding the right ones. And we've talked about this before. He uses the illustration of a fish, right? Or maybe it wasn't even him who came up with it, but he used it. When is a fish the most free? It's when the fish is in the bowl, right? When it's in water. And so if a fish were to rage about how unfair and oppressive his bowl is, and I just want to get beyond the walls of my bowl or out of the ocean or out of my tank. It's just, I'm just stuffed in here, and that's not where true life is. True life is out there. I need to go. And he, he flops out of the water onto the land. What's going to happen? He's going to die. He's not going to find more life and flourishing and greener grass. Well, he might find grass, but, you know, he's, but he's not going to find life. And so true freedom is about finding the right constraints that truly lead to life. And he, he continues, he uses other illustrations. When you think about if you want to master an instrument or you want to compete in the Olympics or you want to get married, that is embracing constraints in your life, right? When you get married, there are now some limits on you in terms of what you can do with other people, about uh, what you can do with your time, about how you spend your money, right? Marriage is embracing constraints, and yet, it's within that covenant, there's great freedom and intimacy and joy and things that you can experience that you wouldn't experience as a bachelor. Or if you embrace the constraints of training for the Olympics, right? There's things you have to say no to. Taco Bell and late nights out, right? You need your sleep and you need to train. You need to exercise how many crazy long hours. There's constraints. And yet, there's a certain freedom that comes through that to flourish in life in certain ways. And so biblical freedom is not about just the freedom to go do whatever you want whenever you want, but it's about being free to serve and submit to a master that will truly liberate you. Embracing the right constraints that lead to life. And so you get to choose who you will submit yourself to. But Jesus claims every other master or authority that you give yourself to will enslave you, isn't truly for you, doesn't really care about you, doesn't really lead to your flourishing. Only Jesus can set you free. Only Jesus 
loves you with a sacrificial, undying love. Only Jesus is truly for your joy. The sun sets you free. You will be free indeed, verse 36 says. Friends, we're going to transition in just a minute to taking communion together. But before we do that, I just want to give an opportunity to respond. Because here's the deal. In a room this size, uh, I know there's got to be people coming in that are, that are burdened, that, that need freedom that only Jesus can offer. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're stuck in, in some kind of addiction, some kind of pattern of sin that keeps repeating that you can't break, uh, compulsive thoughts. Maybe there's lies you're believing about yourself, lies you're believing about your worth or your past, shame that you're caught in, you're feeling trapped. Jesus wants to set us free. And so what I want to invite you to this morning is just a simple way to respond. We're going we're gonna to pray, and in just a minute, I'll ask you to just raise your hand as we pray so I can pray for you. And when you, in raising your hand, you're doing two things. One, you're just letting me know so I can pray for you. Uh, and two, you're also identifying to the Lord. That, that's me. You know, we're, we're embodied beings. What we do with our bodies, how we respond matters. So even something as simple as raising your hand is saying, you know what, Lord, that's me. And I need you to set me free. So would you close your eyes, bow your heads with me as we prepare and get ready to take communion in just a moment. And I just want to invite you, if that's you this morning, I want to invite you to raise your hand. And we're not going to show up at your house this week and say, hey, we need to talk about this more. I just, I just want to know how, that I can pray for you. So if you're here this morning, you're like, I, I need to be set free from the lie I'm believing, from the power of sin in my life, that pattern of sin, that thing I can you seem to get out of. Jesus, would you set me free? If that's you, would you just raise your hand now so I can pray for you? Just right where you are. I see you. Again, just raise your hand wherever you are. I'd love to pray for you. Pray for freedom in your life. In the name of Jesus, I see you. I see you. I see you. Let's pray, friends. Lord Jesus, uh, we want to pray together for our, our brothers and sisters who just raise their hands now. Um, the few folks that have said, you know what, Lord Jesus, I need your freedom in my life. I need you to set me free from this, this pattern of sin, this lie I'm trapped in. Lord, I want to walk in the light. I pray, Jesus, that you would just uh, right now uh, fill them with, with peace and joy. As they come to you, Lord Jesus, you say, uh, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So, Lord, I pray that our brothers and sisters here would experience great freedom in your name. Again, freedom not just to go and do whatever they want, but freedom to, to follow you and obey you and find life and flourishing in you. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here this morning that for whatever reason, maybe needs that but didn't want to raise their hand, Lord, I pray that you would give them freedom in your name. Thank you. Lord Jesus, we now come to take communion. We remember what it is that purchased our freedom. You bought us back. And it's your work on the cross, your broken body, your shed blood, to, to break the penalty of sin and the power of sin. Because through faith in you, we died with you, and now you've raised us to new life. And so we come to worship you, Jesus.
And we take these elements in celebration and remembrance. In your name we pray. Amen.